You're listening to the Jay's Journal Podcast. I'm your host, Ari Shapiro, and the rumors of my death and demise were greatly exaggerated. I don't know what to tell you folks. It's been a long time since the last show. I think something like four or five weeks. And all I can say is that I will never, ever let that happen again. That's a promise I'm making for me to you, the listener. I know you are anxiously awaiting what this show has to offer. So I put together back-to-back-to-back interviews with three really compelling baseball personalities. First, I'll give you an appreciation of my discussion with the great Ben Nicholson-Smith from Sportsnet. He's the national baseball editor, and I think he knows a little bit something about the Toronto Blue Jays. And then, country music superstar, and oh, also one of the site experts at the Jays Journal, the man himself, Chris Henderson, will be here to chat about what next year looks like for the Toronto Blue Jays and to help me digest the remains of the day because I am out of alcohol right now. And there's no better way to commiserate and get yourself through a difficult and dark night of baseball futility than speaking with someone who is one of the foremost prodigious and prolific authors on the subject of all things Blue Jays. And then last but not least, to close out the show, our good friend from the Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network, Richard Burfer drops by to talk about his accurate, realistic, without rose-colored glasses perspective, if you will, of the Blue Jays' prospects. I mean, here we are at a season that is, for all intents and purposes, almost mercifully over. John Gibbons got his send-off, and we're sad to see him go, but it's time to turn over a new leaf. We still don't know if this baseball club will end up with the same executives at the helm. Or for that matter, anyone even remotely associated with the coaching staff right now. About the only thing you can guarantee yourself in 2019 is that Vlad Guerrero Jr. will probably be the reason that you end up shelling out money to spend time with this baseball product. To take yourself all the way down to the Rogers Center through the traffic and the expensive parking and the expensive ticket prices, the rising ticket prices... And of course, concessions that'll just blow your mind because a family of four could spend hundreds of dollars enjoying junk food. Hey, don't worry. It'll be all worth it when Vlad Guerrero Jr. steps up to bat cleanup for the Blue Jays at what looks to be the end of April. And that's another subject entirely. So let's, without further delay, focus on these interviews, give you a chance to see what's happening in Blue Jays land. And as always, I appreciate you tuning in to listen to the Jays Journal podcast. Don't forget to check out jaysjournal.com and all of our great writers and contributors there who provide you with all of the good insight into this Canadian baseball team. It's really the only one of its kind. Also, don't forget to check out arishapiro.ca, my website, which is a constant source of Blue Jays information for you, and one where you can find all of the interviews featured in today's show individually and separately published for your enjoyment. So let's get moving. I'm now joined by author, podcaster, and the national baseball editor for sportsnet.ca across Canada, Ben Nicholson-Smith is on the show. Ben, thanks for finding the time as always. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Ari. Thanks for having me. Now, the last time you and I chatted, I think, was maybe back around, what do you think, July maybe, when there was still a lot of uh, conjecture and theory and prognostications, and needless to say, a lot of things have happened, and I just want to jump right into it with you, because uh, I'm very curious about what you have to say, especially where there's smoke. You and I both know there's usually fire, and so I want to ask you this question directly. Will Mark Shapiro be the president of the Blue Jays come opening day 2019? And what's your take on all these rumors surrounding his courtship by the New York Mets that just won't go away? Yeah, it is pretty interesting. And uh, he's certainly got some connections there with uh, Omar Minaya, one of, one of his friends and someone he's worked uh, with and against for a long time in the game. But I think he will be with the Blue Jays uh, opening day 2019. He said that that's where he expects to be and that's where he wants to be. And really, the Mets are going to have a lot of choices. So I'm sure that they do have interest in Mark Shapiro, but he's under contract with the Blue Jays. So I don't see it being that easy of a pass for them just to pluck him and bring him over. And there are a lot of other people who would have interest in that Mets job. As much as that team has its own problems, I, I do think that it's ultimately a pretty appealing gig. So I think they'll have a lot of 
a lot of other people that they can go to, and I think Shapiro will end up staying in Toronto. What's interesting, isn't it, that it coincided with rumors that were floating out related to the ownership group not being pleased with Mark specifically or Ross specifically. When, when you heard about that, did you just attribute that scuttlebutt to the kind of social media desperate era we live in where people want attention? Or do you think there's some truth to the fact that at some point this year, the ownership group looked at the way things unfolded for all of their reasons, right, Ben? I mean, whether it was injuries, player regression, or just underperformance, underachievement, what do you think happened there? Why did we start hearing rumblings from straight at the top? Well, that's a that's a tough one to answer. You know, certainly um, I can't speak for, for ownership, so I don't know exactly what they were thinking or, or how they've um, assessed the work from this group other than public comments from people like Edward Rogers who say that uh, they have been pleased with the work of Mark Shapiro and, and the rest of the Blue Jays mm-hmm. front office. So that's what we'll go off of. Um, certainly don't have any inside information beyond that. So um, at, at this point, they seem to be working together and, and trying to trying to push the team forward, which obviously is a pretty significant undertaking when you're talking about a team that's pretty far below 500. But, yeah, yeah. To, be, to be honest, I mean, it, when it comes to, you know, backroom dealings and opinions and what someone might think, it's uh, it's pretty tough to pinpoint, and I'd be lying if I said I knew those answers really specifically. Well, if you had those answers, I think you'd be the most highly sought-after sportscaster journalist in the land. No question about that. Uh, I don't think anyone has those answers, but it is fascinating uh, how pe- surprised people are by the fact that somebody might be unhappy at the top. It's been a it's been a brutal year. I mean, w- when you look back at the season and how it's unfolded. How can a person not be disappointed, whether they're a fan, whether they're a member of the media, or whether they're part of the executive uh, side of things? Well, there there are a lot of things that have gone wrong this year. I mean, there's no question about that. I think it starts with Josh Donaldson. You can extend that to Marcus Stroman, to Roberto Asuna. It's really been a year where I think a lot more things have gone wrong than have gone right for this team, and especially at the major league level, which ultimately is where you're going to be judged. So, of course, there are a lot of positives beneath the surface, as, as you know, and probably most of the people listening to this to this conversation know that the Blue Jays have a lot of intriguing young players coming up, but at this point, they're intriguing young players. They're not fully-fledged major leaguers who are going to be um, at the level of the Boston Red Sox or the Houston Astros or the Yankees. I mean, this is, this is a really tough league to win in. The best teams are really good, and the Jays are trying to build towards that, but it has taken them uh, a lot of losses at the major league level as kind of a cost going along with that, that development process that's happening in the minor leagues. They can't be faulted for completely lucking out when it comes to being able to showcase these rookies. I mean, that's been a true positive sign this year that it seems like almost anyone and everyone they call up makes some kind of lasting impression. And you know what I mean, Ben, whether it was, Lourdes Gurriel pursuing a, an 80-year-old multi-hit, multi-game hit record, or whether it was the kind of impressions that Ryan Barucki and Sean Reed Foley have put together on the mound, or, or looking at the great performance of someone like uh, a Rowdy Tellez bursting on the scene, I think we can agree that they haven't failed in creating the greatest teaser trailer in the history of the game. <laughs> that's, that's quite a way to put it. Yeah, I think that you could even add on beyond that to guys like Billy McKinney coming up and hitting well and playing some pretty good defense. Thomas Stone has been has been pretty good uh, as a starting pitcher along with Reed Foley and Baraki. Um, so it's it's been impressive. You know, you look at the catchers, Danny Jansen and Reese McGuire, what they've done. So there are a lot of interesting players, and I think that, as you said, this is really a trailer for what is probably going to happen in the next few years where some of these guys are really going to emerge into everyday players, maybe even into major league stars. You could, you could certainly see that potential with a guy like Danny Jansen or Lotus Gurriel Jr. And for some of them, they might become pretty good bench players. For others, they might fall off the map completely. But we've definitely seen a lot of promising signs from these guys. And in the meantime, you know, regardless of where it leads, it is fun in the moment to see them experience those first major league at bats, those first major league home runs, because it means so much to these guys, and it, it kind of brings you back to um, a little bit of a different state of baseball compared to uh, really veteran teams from 15, 16, and 17. For fans, I think you'll agree it must be awfully surreal 
to witness a 19-, 22-year-old player bursting on the scene and overperforming, surrounded by a lot of players who have woefully underachieved. And I'm not going to dive bomb us right back into the pool of cynicism here, but have you looked at the wins above replacement for every starter this year? I haven't seen anything like this in a while. Selecting an MVP for this team will be a rather humbling and almost humiliating process, I fear. Yeah, I mean, certainly, as you said, that, that starting rotation has been really disappointing. And Strowman is, is a huge reason for that. You look at him likely ending the season um, sidelined with a, a blister issue. You look at the, the kind of year that he's had when he has been on the mound and really struggled. Aaron Sanchez, too, it hasn't really, as much as he's pitched well in those last couple of starts, he really hasn't had that consistency month to month no. that he was hoping for entering the season. So, you know, I think that when you look at the group, their ERA is 5-2-1 as we record this now. That's just not even close to good enough. So that needs to come down by probably a full run, and, and that gives you pretty much a roadmap to where the Blue Jays might be looking this offseason. And that being said, though, I'm having a hard time being a contrarian to the idea of a rotation featuring Stroman, Sanchez, Sean Reed Foley, Ryan Barucki, and Thomas Pannone. That sounds pretty sexy to me. What are, what are your thoughts about how the Blue Jays can try to sell this uh, bill of rookie goods to the fans in 2019 by reminding them, hey, we can put together five pitchers who all have excellent high-tier stuff, have been highly regarded in many baseball circles, and have an average age of about 23-24? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's certainly the, uh, the sales pitch, I, I think, right there. Um, the, the one thing with that is, you know, we've seen some inconsistency from Sean Reed Foley, especially as he tries to locate his pitches. You know, you look at the slider, you look at the fastball. When he throws the pitches where he wants to, he's really tough to hit. And that's a four-pitch mix that has a lot of potential. But, you know, we see it so often where if pitchers have trouble executing, they don't locate where they want to, then they can get into trouble pretty quickly, start issuing some walks, start falling behind into counts and you suddenly see a few runs score. So I don't think that Sean Reed Foley is a finished product, and I think that the Blue Jays need to account for that as they plan for 2019, because if there's an injury, and there probably will be some sort of injury because it's starting pitching, then you need to have some depth beyond those guys. Pannone, you know, you're talking about a lefty who's throwing 88-89. I mean, that's a thin margin as far as any kind of mistakes that he might make in the course of a game. Roman and Sanchez have both missed a lot of time this year. So I don't think you have a lot of sure things in that rotation. And I think that's where they need to go out and add to it. Not that there isn't the potential to have that starting five be really effective, because it's certainly there. But I don't think you can bank on those guys coming together with their best-case scenarios. And that's where I do think that starting pitching is a pretty glaring need for this organization going forward. From a, I think you'll agree, Ben, from a rebuild perspective, it, it really is the, the final arbiter. If, if the Blue Jays cannot put together five pitchers who can get into a cycle and, and create an opportunity to get out of this two-year streak now of injuries and, and underachievement, it's, it's the underachievement, though, I think that's even more frustrating than the injuries because some of these pitchers have... Uh, have shown that their head is just not in the game sometimes. And that's not, a, that's not an unusual thing, is it, when you're on a losing team? Maybe we should then look on the positive side to the value of what this experience will mean to a Reed Foley or a Baruchi or a Pannone. I mean, beating the Yankees two out of three at this stage in the season for them, that's no small feat. The, the Jays showed a lot of, a lot of uh, punch and vinegar. They showed that they still care about trying to compete. And I think you'll agree that for starters, especially getting the kind of experience at this stage in the year against quality teams, that could create the confidence they need to be successful in April and moving forward next year. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I think part of that comes down to being put into situations that are, that are tough. And, you know, we've seen it with Reed Foley having to deal with the ejection of his manager and his catcher in one game. We've seen it with Thomas Pannone staying deep into the game in Yankee Stadium. Uh, Ryan Barucki has been tested in that same way. Even Aaron Sanchez, not that this is new to him, but Gibby has been yeah. sticking with him to try to um, make sure that he builds back up not only the innings base, but the confidence and the feel for, for pitches that really he hasn't had in the last in the last couple of months. So all those things are, are really big, and it's something that Stroman's going to miss this season as he um, likely finishes the season on the sidelines, but for the rest of these guys, it's a chance to finish strong. It's a chance to learn some lessons. 
in a way that you just can't replicate in November or January. You know, you can be throwing off a mound or you could be doing some uh, side work in, in Arizona or Florida, wherever it is, but it doesn't have the same intensity as Yankee Stadium by any stretch. And so I think that's where uh, the, the Blue Jays really can benefit from this. And I know it's, you know, it's a silver lining at best. I mean, as you're, you're not really, you don't go into the year hoping to create learning experiences for your players you hope to create wins but the wins aren't going to be there so this is what the blue jays can salvage from this year and it is pretty meaningful especially for those players no question about that and uh, I, I find it interesting too in, in studying some of the recent writing that you've done and ben i must say i always like regarding you as a five tool journalist you know you're someone who can put out the fantastic literary efforts and then show up on the television and in the radio and on a podcast, maybe stuff you haven't even mentioned that you do yet. But when it comes to your writing, I really appreciate the way you look into the player profiles, especially recently with Dion Hervis Solarte. And so I want to ask you, knowing as you do, going into a new year, that you have to take some veterans with you. You can't be all young pups running around and, uh, you know, people paying full price for admission, so to speak. We know some veterans will be on the scene, especially contract-friendly ones like a Justin Smoke, for example, or Marcus Stroman going to arbitration. Who should fans be aware of that maybe you can bring to their attention? They shouldn't be surprised if he's not with the Blue Jays next year come opening day 2019. Yeah, it's a a really interesting question. I mean, I I do think that Solarte is one of those guys. I just don't think there's a fit for him on this team when you're talking about a 31-year-old who doesn't play good defense and doesn't run the bases very well. So, at that point, you probably look to the other infielders in your mix, guys like Alain Macias and Devin Travis and Brandon Drury and, of course, Guriel and Bichette and all the prospects coming up, Vlad Jr. in that mix as well. I don't see the playing time being there for Solarte. So I think he's a guy you move off of, try to trade him. If not, you just decline the option, see what happens there. Aside from that, I do think the Blue Jays are going to explore trades involving Russell Martin because Russell Martin is someone who – isn't as needed on this team now that Danny Jansen has come up and got a taste of the major leagues. And Reese McGuire, too, in that mix. you got Luke Maley. So they have enough catchers to the point that they could look to move Russell Martin. Now, with a salary of $20 million, you're obviously not just going to have some team come along and take on that full freight. But you could say to a team, hey, you guys take on a few million of this, we'll take on the rest, and that clears up a roster spot, potentially clears up some playing time for these younger players. And I think that's another possibility to keep an eye on. Not that it's a guarantee, but at least to keep an eye on the possibility of a Russell Martin trade. And that would be seismic for some fans. Even those who begrudgingly accept the fact that he's regressed and had and had issues with consistency. There's something reassuring, isn't there, about having a Russell Martin behind the plate. You and I often bandy about that stat that the team's uh, runs allowed is about half less just with him there. And uh, there are some fans who are excited at the prospect of player coach Russell Martin, you know, a guy, a super utility infielder next year who can also give advice to young players on the bench. That's not such a bad thing when you've got a bunch of youngins running around, right? Yeah, and he certainly has that experience and and has that ability. Um, Yeah, it's interesting. And I I completely agree that he's still a really good defensive catcher. Uh, The throwing is dropped off, but when it comes to his receiving, when it comes to his pitch blocking, you see Danny Jansen struggle to block some pitches, and it's just a reminder that it's really tough to do. Um, Russell Martin has mastered that over the years, and I think even at age 35, he's good uh, behind behind the plate where his athleticism is just, I mean, it's off the charts. He's such a good athlete. So I think that that's one thing that the Blue Jays would miss, really, if they were to move him because he has great knowledge of the hitters around the league. He has great skills behind the plate defensively. But at a certain point, Danny Jansen is going to have to be that guy, or Reese McGuire, or somebody, Max Pentecost. They're going to need someone to come up and be the everyday catcher because he's 36. So even if he is healthy, and even if he is on the roster, he's probably a part-time guy at best next year. And at a certain point, you're going to need other guys to step up and take over that responsibility. No question. And, and again, there's almost something laughable about heading into the end of this year with like half a dozen catchers on the roster. It's funny, a position that once forced the Blue Jays to pay Russell Martin $20 million a year to play here is now a luxury. Go figure, right? It, it never fails that way. Ben, I, I want to wrap things up here uh, on this conversation with a question that appeals to the baseball fan inside of you. You know, I've known you for a couple of years now and we've become fast friends, and I know that baseball, first and foremost, is a huge passion and influence in your life. But uh, what does it say when you kind of see what's happening in Cleveland with Josh Donaldson 
and maybe a part of that uh, baseball fan inside winces knowing that uh, it's very likely he could easily come back and become a real hero for them in the postseason. What is your take on the lingering thoughts related to the Josh Donaldson trade? How's it sitting for you when it was such a big powder keg on social media for the past week after the trade took place? Yeah, where, I mean, where it sits for me is I find it just an interesting story. Like, I think that Josh Donaldson, when healthy, is clearly a really good player. So I, I'm interested to see what he can do in Cleveland. Um, I, I think the Blue Jays did what they basically had to do, and that was to get what they could for him, and it wasn't much. I mean, to get Julian Merriweather, not a huge return. No one is going to sit here and, and pretend otherwise because he's by no means a, an elite prospect. But they get something for him, and right now I'm very intrigued to see what he can do with Cleveland. And so I'll be watching that team pretty closely as they make their way through the playoffs. It's a very diplomatic answer, considering that in about three short weeks from now, if he gets hot, and, and there's no guarantee of that. I mean, he's hitting, what, 154? He's struggling just to make contact, but you and I both kind of know that that might be a lot more to do with just being rusty and getting back in the way of things as opposed to a player that many people have written off. I mean, are you stunned at the number of social media responses? And I know you get them on Twitter just like me because we tweet about the Blue Jays. Are you tired about those people saying, ah, you should just forget about it. It's not a big deal. We move on. Is it really that simple? Do we move on knowing that uh, under different circumstances, the way things played out, the Jays really could have handled this a lot better and the player maybe could have provided more answers for a fan base that's questioning whether he was giving it his all? Yeah, I mean, to me, that's a question that each fan can answer themselves. I, I would never you know, say to, to one person that it's time to move on. If it's not time for someone to move on, if they want to um, continue thinking about that or, or weighing those different possibilities, then that's totally fine. And if someone else says, hey, I, I want to focus on the Blue Jays that are here, then I get that too. But I think that's the beauty of being a fan is you can kind of decide for yourself how long it is that you um, continue thinking about a certain player or when it is that you look back how it is that you look back. And so I think that really is up to the individual. Again, a phenomenally diplomatic and existential answers can only be provided by you, Ben. Give my uh, listening audience an idea of what you've been up to and how they can find you on social media. Yeah, thanks. So I would say sportsnet.ca is the place to go for um, for the, the writing that I do about the Blue Jays and, and of course, lots of uh, my colleagues there as well with lots of great articles. And on Twitter, I'm at B. Nicholson Smith. He's a five-tool journalist, an author, a podcaster, the national baseball editor for Sportsnet.ca. There's very little that Ben Nicholson-Smith can't do. Thanks for finding the time to join me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Ari. So joining me now on the Jays Journal podcast is none other than Chris Henderson, one of the site experts for those of you who love to read the articles on the website and listen to the podcast Chris, it's a pleasure having you here at Journey's End. My pleasure as always, my friend. I, I might put some special effects. I felt like Gandalf and you were a hobbit. And we're back in the shine. <laughs> and I'm looking at well, you. Well, whatever works. You're looking at me with tear-stained eyes, and I'm looking at you with a, with a very ashen expression. But really, I don't think it's warranted. I mean, it's been a rough year, no doubt, but you have to be thrilled looking back at the last 30, 35 days of baseball, which I might add has been surprisingly competitive. Not that we need to write home about how great a team can play in September in a meaningless season, but what does it say to you that the Blue Jays seem to be putting out a crop of rookies, player after player, that seems to be a highlight every night somehow? You know, and it's exciting. I mean, it's as you said, it's been a very disappointing year, and and there hasn't been a lot to be excited about until more recently. So, seeing some of these young guys and just seeing the potential that exists in them, and you know, and giving them the opportunity to get the experience of playing at the highest level, uh, it's just a to me, it paints a picture of a very bright future in Toronto, especially on the player position side. Uh, you know, that that said, the, the pitching staff has been great. The young pitchers have been great too. So. Uh, you know, I think next year is going to be... I, I'm more optimistic about how next year is going to go already just from watching the last, as you say, month or so. And you should be. And and I think most people will agree that there are legitimate reasons to be excited about next year. I was chatting with Ben Nicholson-Smith early, a, a great friend of ours and whose, uh, whose appearances on the Jays Journal are, are quite frequent. In fact, I asked him to double it for next year because we might need, you know, more psychologists and psychoanalysts on staff to deal with whatever happens in 2019. But he agreed that the future is bright. 
Although I have to tell you, Chris, I I started gushing about this, the possibilities of a starting rotation, and I didn't realize until listening to myself after how I was dangerously becoming a fanboy because it's it's hard not to buy into a Baruki, Panone, Reed Foley reality alongside Sanchez or Stroman. But, I mean, how realistic is that? I mean, if there's one Achilles heel going into next year, wouldn't you agree it's the starting pitching? Yeah, I, I definitely would agree with that. It, I think there is enough excitement or a reason to be excited about the guys that you mentioned. You know, the Pannons and the Bruckies and Reed Foley's have done exceptionally well. You know, Brucky was great on Sunday here again. Um, you know, he and he's, what, up to 16 or 17 starts now, and he's he's just, you know, if he'd been on doing this all season long, he'd probably be, be a very serious contender for the Rookie of the Year. Award, and I think he's going to be great. I'm, I, he's been a pleasant surprise. But I think next year, you know, as always, we've only had the Blue Jays only what kind of one. I think it was 2015 or 16. It was one of the one of the playoff years where they had the starters survive the season healthy. But uh, otherwise, you, you kind of almost need a dozen guys, and especially when you're on, you know, with younger arms that are probably going to be on innings limits to a certain degrees next year. Um, you know, I think the Blue Jays are going to have to go out and sign a few veterans. Um, not not Jaime Garcia, but somebody like that, you know, somebody that can come out and, and eat some innings and help these young guys get through the year. But I think those three in particular are, are showing enough that they've earned, they're earning a, a potential shot for sure. And we all know that that'll make or break the year essentially, right? I mean, if the team can start with quality starts coming from young players, that's like, that's truly gold, isn't it? I mean, it's like momentum. You feel that the future is bright because it's here right now. You don't have to project it. And it's funny because it seemed like yesterday we were projecting a lot of these names, but here they are, they've come up to the show, they got their cup of coffee, and they're sticking around. They're sticking around because they're throwing strikes, they're lasting until the 6th or 7th innings. I mean, where was this in the beginning of the year? It's hard to think how this feels like a novelty for Toronto fans, when really we haven't seen it for the last 4 or 5 months. So this is something truly noteworthy. Yeah, you know, we, it's funny because looking back at the start of the season, I remember Mike Wilner talking about it, and I, and I agreed with him. I thought the Blue Jays had a chance to have one of the best rotations in the American League this year, and just just to, to see the way that the the way things worked out has been laughable. But but the nice part, as you say, is that the the young the young arms are are putting on you know giving us enough reason to to look forward to next year and to to have belief in them because they, they probably are putting on some of the best performances of the season from from any starter here in the last month. And of course, I like having you on the podcast because you're one of the most prolific writers in the land. I was going to say prodigious. Maybe I should say prolific and prodigious because you, your passion through and through is, is trying to look at what this team is all about and sharing your perspectives in a way that sometimes, in my case, I've been accused of being cynical. And I don't like to be cynical. Nobody likes to be cynical because there's nothing better than a little influx of realistic optimism that can go a long way. And that's why I love having you on the show, because I want to look at some of your recent articles on the Jays Journal so some of our listening audience can can respect the fact that there are great things (laughs) to look forward to. And, you know, in no particular order, I recall a few days ago you had an article on Randall Grichuk, and I want you to talk to me about him, because the more I've been paying attention in particular to this player's performance over the last few months the more it's apparent to me that he has a much greater upside than Kevin Pillar. So the question naturally leads me to this. Is he your center fielder in 2019? You know what? I, I, if it was up to me, I think I would go that route. Not necessarily because I think Grichuk is the guy that has to be in center field, but just given the circumstances with this team, with rebuilding, and with the glut of young outfielders that really do need an opportunity. Uh, it, and... It's un- unfortunate, but I think the Blue Jays are probably at the point where it's time to move on from Kevin Pillar. And the, with the way that Grichuk has performed this season and the options that they can put uh, around him and, you know, his flexibility with either being able to play in center or, or in the corner, he's just been an excellent pickup for the Blue Jays. You know, he started off he started off the season in just terrible fashion. But since coming back from the disabled list, he's been he's been great. You know, you, you, you really couldn't ask for... I'm mean, sure you could ask for more, but uh, I don't think you could have expected a, a lot better than from Grichuk if you took away that first month or so from the season. No question, it would have made a big difference in the way his entire season would have looked. And alongside that, you ran with that sentiment about 
demonstrating value to the team with Kendris Morales. You had an article out a few days ago where you argued why he has job security in 2019. Now, Chris, I'm sorry. That, to me, is an extraordinary realization or or a proclamation on your end, considering how you and I were discussing him back in April and May. I mean, it truly has been a renaissance half-season for Kendris, all things considered. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, and I, I think the Blue Jays, get in a different circumstance, can make a solid argument for wanting to trade him somewhere else and giving him a chance to hopefully play for a contender next year. Or, you know, but uh, these DH only guys are are difficult to sell on the market these days. And the thing that I put in that article that uh, you know, and I, I, if I remember right, it was a Steve Buffery article that I pointed to. Um, from the sun and uh, he was talking just about the the close relationship that uh, Morales has with these young guys that the Lourdes uh, Lourdes Curiel will follow him around and basically just you know use him as an example how to behave at the at uh, the professional level and uh, Vladimir Guerrero uh, Jr. who will inevitably be called up next season he's uh, you know a buffery I believe again it was that we was talking about um, you know, described him as like a second father, father figure to him. So to me, that's the biggest key right there is that the Blue Jays are going to do everything in their power to make sure they protect and nurture Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, as much as possible. And if Kendris Morales really is that close to him, then there's no reason to, to get rid of him, especially for the cost that they have next year. Part and parcel why you're you're one of the top writers in all things Blue Jays in, in the land, because you, you understand and have a pulse on things. And, and that's why, you know, hearing your thoughts about Grichuk and Morales should really resonate with the listening audience because it's it's steeped in understanding how this player found a way to deal with the pride the issue of pride you know in those first few months it was a really rough year after after the team started struggling in the better part of it the earlier part of it it was abundantly obvious that a lot of players would end up with some really bad statistics at the end of the season and you know when i look up and down this roster and i see the wins above replacement i i it's it's cringeworthy just based mm. on that, though, Chris, who, who is your MVP for the Toronto Blue Jays in 2018? Boy, you know, I was thinking about that the other day, and, and I'd probably go with Grichuk. I mean, there there have been a few guys that have had decent seasons, but there really have, haven't been a lot of standout performances. I mean, Justin Smokes put together, quietly put together another another nice year. It's been nice to see Devin Travis stay healthy all year, but he isn't. You know, his stat line wouldn't warrant that kind of kind of thing. But you know, honestly, the other guy that I would I would seriously consider giving it to is Ryan Brucky, and I know he's only been around for half a year, but uh, he's really uh, been a huge lift for the rotation. That uh, to, in a year, even though that's lost, they still badly needed him to get through the season, and he's answered the bell and and been a reason that uh, for excitement, like we talked about. Well, and another reason for excitement that just won't stop giving us reasons to to look forward to what he can do is Lourdes Gurriel Jr. And you had an article yes. the other day about what kind of a gigantic bargain he is. Why don't you talk about what he's done to impress the heck out of you to get to this point where so many people now are looking forward to what uh, what this excellent Cuban pedigree player can do? You know, it's funny. I had no idea I was being this positive lately, but you've uh, I, that's I good. Shocked. <laughs> I'm, I'm shocked. I, this is not a Chris Henderson I've ever been used to. Let me tell you. No, you know what? I think Lourdes Gurriel, uh, you know, outside of a guy like Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Gurriel excites me as much as anyone. He's just, he looks, uh, he just looks so confident at the plate right now. And I feel like, you know, he's only, not, not he hasn't even had half a season of experience yet. And it just seems like he's getting better and better every game. The raw potential that I see, I think if I remember right from that article, he was sitting at like a 1.1 uh, on the offensive war side, and he had a negative .08 defensive war, which surprised me. Uh, but I think there's been just enough enough of a learning curve for him on defense and, and you know, a few mistakes he's made here and there that would warrant those numbers. But I think he's going to be a tremendous defensive asset. And I really do believe he's going to end up sticking in shortstop. You know, even though his numbers aren't as good there this season, I feel like he's got all the tools he needs to be an exceptional defender. Your positivity, of course, didn't even stop there. There was still one more place you decided to go, which raised a brow for me because I, I didn't think there was a reason necessarily to exalt what he's done this year. But just by staying healthy and setting a new career high for himself, Devin Travis is still part of the infield equation. The problem is, I think you'll agree, Chris, that the numbers really weren't worth writing home about. So what do you foresee happening with, with Travis in a future filled with so many excellent young and existing infield resources for the Blue Jays. To me, I feel like Travis is uh, 
you know, the first half of next year is going to be huge for the rest of his career trajectory and his arc and even his place within the Blue Jays organization. I'm not sure that he's going to be, you know, look at all the prospects and all the talented guy infielders there are. You know, there is Lourdes Gurriel. There is, um, you know, there's Bobichat. There's, you know, I could go on and on and on. I don't yeah. know why I might blank there for a moment. But there are tons of guys that are going to, going to be big league middle infielders. And I feel like Devin Travis will be the starting second baseman next year. Um, but I would expect that the Blue Jays are hoping for a big bounce back. Can, you know, with his performance, he can take this healthy season and build on that. And as I talked about in that article, the nice thing for him this offseason is he can actually rest and he can actually focus on working on some some skills rather than just spending all his time in the rehab room. So, so I'm optimistic that he's going to have a good season uh, in 2019. And uh, you know, that may parlay him into turning into a trade ship down the road. But uh, but uh, I, I'm I'm thrilled that he finally had a, fun, a healthy season the guy is talented even if his numbers don't show it this year and if there's anyone who deserves a shot at reclaiming the from the ashes and, and rising and reclaiming his baseball career it's it's Devin Travis you know I've always been a big admirer back in my regular writing days he was my favorite player to look into because you know to look at because he's he's got the tools he's got the attitude and he's got the respect of the players in the dugout and it'd be nice to see this blue jays team with all of its youth and highly impressionable minds in a modern era of baseball to have certain veterans and i think this is where the blue jays will excel in keeping a justin smoke a kendris morales and and having someone like a devin travis along with russell martin to guide the team to the next transition and, and that sounds great, you'll agree, but, but now I'm going to, to lower the boom a little bit with you here and ask you how you feel about Mark Shapiro's recent comments. The front office coming out and saying, we probably won't spend money competitively again until 2021. It seems like this team is ready to put their payroll in cruise control, let it get down to a much lower number and focus on youth. Is that fair for the fans who are expecting something that isn't mutually exclusive. Yeah, this team is going to be younger, but why would you go from spending $160 million in a market this large and competitive in the AL East to lowering it down to about $100 million or $90 million? Yeah, you know what? To answer your initial question, I thought it was... I didn't think there was a lot of foresight in saying that. You know, It's funny because we, we beg for transparency from the organizations and these teams that we follow. Um, but in this case, I didn't feel that he needed to say that, that they were... You know, to give that kind of timeline, he could have said that next year maybe they won't spend a lot of money. And for anyone who's looking at the real equation, they're not going to spend a lot of money next season. And while it's frustrating when you have a rich ownership that that could, this is a team that needs to give playing time to their young guys. And and you know, Loris Gurriel is going to make like a million and a half next year. Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will be on a rookie contract when he gets called up. Danny Jansen is going to be making less than a million. Ryan Barucki, these guys that are going to be in the lineup in the starting rotation. They're not going to be making a lot of money. So the payroll is going to go down organically. But I don't know that it was smart to talk about it staying that way until 2021. I think the time will come. And who knows? You never know. I mean, we've watched some teams that have shocked us in the last few years. Maybe these young guys just blow us away next year. And there's all kinds of payroll room to add uh, before the trade deadline. I don't anticipate that happening. But but um, but there's no reason why Rodgers can't spend money when the time comes. Just well, right now, it doesn't make sense. It not only baffles the fan base, but... For those people who are outside of the Blue Jays market and looking at what this organization is doing when comparing it to the extravagant efforts of, a, of an MLSC trying to make the hockey and basketball side worthwhile, you realize we're heading from a Toronto perspective, and I know that you're a Saskatchewan boy, but we're heading into a Toronto perspective where for the next six months of professional sports in this city, there'll be nothing but the highest level of expectations. And I think you'll agree for Blue Jays fans, that's exactly how they want to feel. They want to feel like they did in 2015 and to some degree in 2016, where they were heading into a season not being told that they could finish in a wild card spot and a lot of things, if they go right, could help them. But to be reassured, hey, this team will be competitive very soon and we will put in the resources and efforts to make sure that we have the right standard for you to go out and spend your hard-earned disposable income. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think there's nothing wrong with the front office being honest and saying that their expectations are going to be tempered for the next couple of years because there is there is a need for these young guys to get a chance to play. But um, you're right that the Toronto market is going to be very <laughs> difficult for the Blue Jays just with the, the success that we expect from the from the Maple Leafs and from the Raptors, and it's it's going to be difficult in a market where 
we have gotten spoiled, not spoiled, that's not the right word because, uh, but we have come to expect a, or appreciate a winner again as Blue Jays fans. And right. So it's tough to revert, to revert back to the time, you know, where you're a rebuilding franchise. But un- unfortunately that's, uh, that's going to be the best way that the fastest way to get back to being a winner. You know, I was thinking about it this morning and what if the Blue Jays had extended long-term contract offers to, to Jose Batista or Edwin Carnacion or David Price or even Josh Donaldson, it would, uh, it would throw a wrench into a broken system right now that needs a rebuild. And, and while I was always a proponent of extending a lot of those guys at the time for each of their respective careers, um, you know, in hindsight, it's it's good it didn't happen. And and you and I both know very well that rebuilds are not easy. They're not supposed to be easy. It's not as simple as just disposing all the assets you have and moving forward into a new reality. You have guaranteed contracts. You have albatross contracts. You have circumstances involving arbitration where fans could look at what you're doing and scrutinize it and wonder whether or not you're in real control of your own destiny do you think mark shapiro after everything that's happened this year especially after what happened the previous year can rebuild his credibility in the eyes of the fans that a he knows what he's doing because he's a former two-time baseball executive of the year and b that he's actually going to be here to do it in lieu of all the different rumors and gossip involving the interest by the New York Mets, which I talked about earlier on the show with Ben Nicholson-Smith. What do you think about that? I think it's going to be a while before he's a popular man in Toronto. And uh, that's kind of the what you sign up for when you're in charge and, and you are you know you're going to have to do a rebuild. The fans, it's going to be a small section of the fan base that's okay with that kind of approach. And, and the other ones are going to wonder why we're not spending money and why why you know why certain things like that aren't happening but as far far as him going somewhere else i think that's also going to be key for the fans i think just from what i've read online there's a lot of people that uh, you know are feeling the very john farrell-esque feelings towards him right now and uh it'll be interesting to see if there is any truth to those rumors at all i i kind of doubt it but then again i mean i didn't think john farrell would randomly leave to go to the boston red Sox back when that happened either so nothing really surprises me anymore but um, as far as the fans, I mean, right now, he's not a very popular guy from what I'm seeing. And uh, this isn't going to help. <laughs> and all, all about optics in this day and age, right? Optics, optics, optics. What happens in Atlanta? The Braves win their division. Yeah. Spearheaded and guided by Alex Anthopoulos, a man that you and I thought would be around here for a very long time, especially after, especially after what happened in 2015. But Salavi, that's the fickle nature of baseball. And all we have now looking forward, I think, is a lot of promises and hope. And and again, for some reason, normally, and you and I have talked about this before, I'm not a big fan of the whole, let me build a case exclusively on prospects. Why? Because they're just prospects. And we know that many of them will not succeed and stick in a league that's become so difficult to, to have your career flourish. It's, it's a hard league to succeed in. You're not going to play for 15, 20 years guaranteed. Very few players do, which is why when you see a Victor Martinez retire after 16 years, you realize he was able to make it into a long-term career because he was that talented. But the Blue Jays really do have talent. That's the scary thing. We're talking about a, the third-best farm system now in the league. I, I bandy that around as if I somehow had anything to do with it, but I'm awfully proud of it. I think there's every reason for a fan of this team to say to themselves, it may have been Drek over the last few years, but we have every legitimate reason to look forward and say, hey, they could be better a lot quicker than we think. I mean, Chris, they could have more wins next year in 2019 than they had this year, wouldn't you say? I, I think absolutely that's possible, and I would even expect that. You know, it's going to depend on what they do this offseason, whether they trade a few other key pieces or a few other veterans that are still on the roster or whether they do add some other pieces to the bullpen or the rotation. But but I would expect just this young roster getting a full season and a full opportunity that for things to go better for the Blue Jays. I mean, it's basically been a year of what whatever could go wrong has, and uh, and I would expect that to change next year. And hopefully we won't have to reference Murphy's Law because I think we've bought him down in that department. Everything that really could have gone wrong did. Um, but it's nice to see that baseball karma has this way of sometimes balancing the scales. One of the things I noticed recently was the value that the Blue Jays will have next year in having Ken Giles as a closer. All things considered, Chris, it's got to make you smile to know that this thing is going to end at least on a happy note for the Toronto Blue Jays. 
Yeah, he's been a very pleasant surprise, and and I think the Blue Jays have a lot of reason to be optimistic about him going forward. I mean, he's you know like a, a lot of bullpen arms, he's going to go through ups and downs at times, but he's really shown a lot of a lot of uh, potential to to be an excellent closer, and uh, he's done it in the past and uh, with the Astros, and but uh, since coming to the Blue Jays, I mean, he's uh, when he's in a safe situation, he's lights out. The irony being, of course, that in a couple of months we might be saying that as soon as a World Series champion. But that's neither here nor there in the grand scheme of things for fans of this team. Chris, it's always a pleasure to have you drop by for us to jib-jab about the Blue Jays. Give my listeners a quick look at what you're working on with the journal, what to expect over the next little while, and how they can enjoy all your great work on social media. Well, thank you very much, I, uh, and it's always a pleasure to join you. I, you can find me at Baseball for Brains on Twitter, the four being the number, so it's Baseball, number four, Brains. Yes, I know. It's a wonderful, wonderful best, little handle best, I came up best with. Best name ever. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And yes, of course, you can find our uh, our work at jaysjournal.com, where I, I generally do a daily piece, and we have several of the writers that are contributing all the time. Um, you know, today I was kind of looking at... Uh, I just was starting to do some some work on an article, taking a look at just whether Teoscar Hernandez's season has been as bad as some people think it has. He is over twenty. He's got twenty home runs now, and there are things that are good, um, you know. But obviously, there's some there's some reasons for concern with his outfield defense and that sort of thing too. So, he's an interesting case to look at, and so I'm going to do that a little little bit more later today. You know, I'm not going to let you finish this appearance without mentioning that nothing is more exciting to me than a forty home run hitting. 23 errors and 198 strikeout Teoscar Hernandez in 2019. This could be a very real possibility. Uh, not going to live it down. I'm, I'm not sold, never have been really, even though there have been reasons to, but we'll save that for another appearance. We will be doing this more often, my friend. It's been too long. I always appreciate your time. Chris Henderson, one of the site experts here at the Jays Journal. Thanks for finding the time to join me on the podcast. My pleasure, my friend, anytime. My guest today on The Conversation is a familiar voice. Why? Because one of my favorite pastimes is inviting him onto my podcast, the Jay's Journal podcast specifically, to talk about baseball. It's a pleasure to bring on the show the scouting director at the Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network and a man who also does some great literary work with the Prep Baseball Report, Richard Burfer is on the show. Richard, glad to have you on the show, my friend. Hi, Ari. Thanks for having me back. Hey, listen, it's it's my pleasure because you know if there's one thing I never get tired of, it's speculating about prospects. Mm-hmm. And nobody does it better. You know, you truly are a repository of knowledge when it comes to understanding the various Major League Baseball teams' organizational farm team status. In particular, mm-hmm. of course, the Toronto Blue Jays. But, you know, something really made me think over the past couple of weeks, going through all of this melodrama, if you will, involving the Toronto Blue Jays, do you ever remember a time where so much focus and emphasis was placed on speculating regarding prospects and almost exclusively prospects, which seems to be what the Toronto Blue Jays as an organization at this point has hitched their wagon to, a mm-hmm. bill of goods to convince fans to come out in 2019 to follow prospects? Is there a danger in doing that? Well, with prospects, there's ever there's always a risk. Um, prospects is a crapshoot. You can't really predict 100% where it's going to take you. Uh, look at the Chicago Cubs. This is kind of the path they chose a few years ago when Theo Epstein um, moved over there, uh, when they started getting really young, uh, selling off everything of value and bringing in guys like Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, Anthony Rizzo. So obviously when you have such an influx of talent in your minor league system you have to at the end of the day trust your scouting department you have to tr- trust what you're doing um on the minor league level and it seems that, like that's what the jays are doing right now and who knows maybe it will flame out and it's not going to work and the highly touted prospects that the jays have aren't going to produce on the next level but at this point you, you have to try it's a risk that is worth taking i Personally, I think that every GM has to eventually take a risk. And if you don't take risks, you're never going to win in this game. So only time will tell. Uh, if, you, if you think back to the Detroit Tigers, um, they had a really good, they, it was said that they had a really good system a few years ago. And if you look back at their top 10 from top 10 prospect list from five years ago, only Nick Castellanos made it. Everyone else on that top 10. You've never heard of them again, no. right? So it's it's a crapshoot. But for every Detroit Tigers, there's a Chicago Cubs. And hopefully hopefully the Jays land in the Chicago Cubs realm. 
So let's contextualize that a little bit. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is let's look closer into what it means for most baseball publications that have Mm -hmm. the Blue Jays ranked as what the third best farm system Mm -hmm. in, in organized baseball. As if you were a fan and you've been along for the ride since, let's say, 2014, 2015. So you've seen a window mm-hmm. open up of competitiveness. You got a taste of mm-hmm. it. And then yep. it all completely imploded for so many reasons that, you know, I go on the radio and babble about all the time. If there's one mm-hmm. thing if there's sure. one thing I'm really great at, it's going on the radio and reminding fans why they need to lament all the bad things that happen. Mm-hmm. But we but we oh, want to yeah. talk about we want to talk about good things. We want to talk about some positivity. Mm-hmm. So help contextualize yeah. to me this this third ranking. Is this really mm-hmm. truly something unprecedented in the history of the Blue Jays, or is this maybe another way for them to rationalize that? Aside from that, everything else has pretty been victim, you know, fallen mm-hmm. victim to Murphy's law. Right. Well, a special thing that I find with baseball is I try to always stay optimistic with a sport like baseball because it's just so hard to predict. It's not like basketball where where you have LeBron James, you're going to win all the time. And if you don't have LeBron James, you're going to lose all the time with something like baseball. When you have so many prospects that you just have to be excited because of the unpredictability of what's going to happen. And, the talent that the Jays have in their farm system, it's its real. You see a guy like Vladdy Guerrero Jr., thats legit. he's a legit prospect. That's as legit as it gets. And you even keep looking down the farm, you go Bo Bichette, um, even the pitching that um, they have now with Nate Pearson and Adam Klofenstein. Like, there's some real talent there. And the magical thing about prospects is a lot of these big names might not work out. But the more you have, the more of a chance you have to hit hit gold with one of them right let's do a quick kind of rapid fire let's put that to the test maybe with a little bit of rapid fire analyses let's take a look at the players that have been called up to this point whom i think you and i can mutually agree have turned some heads and whether Mm -hmm. or not you think they will be mainstays you've seen enough to believe that they can Mm -hmm. be someone you put a check mark next to in the box mm-hmm. to, to, to anticipate their play next year. Let's start with one prospect that was an international signing that has really impressed the heck out of people because he threatened the major league record for consecutive multi-hit games. What's your, what are your thoughts on Lourdes Gurriel Jr.? I mean, you have to love a guy like that. Um, one, the bloodline that he has, um, being of Cuban royalty. But just from a scouting perspective, looking at the guy like Lourdes Gurriel, he just has so many tools with which he can just continue to get better. The arm is impressive. He plays with some flair. Uh, the bat speed is there at the plate. So there's a lot of tools that he has to build upon. And he's only, what, 23, 24? Yeah. So I feel like the future is bright for him. And a thing that the Jays have been doing a lot of is finding guys who can play up the middle and hit the baseball hard. Because if they fit up the middle, they, they're athletic enough to move around the field. So there's always going to be value for guys like that. And who knows where Lourdes Gurriel is going to play next year. He could play short and maybe he can play third, maybe outfield. But that's that makes him useful. Plus he can hit. So I, th- I, think, he's, I think he has a bright future with this team. So he shows up on the scene alongside mm-hmm. with the dual the dual promise of everything that Ryan Barucki and Danny Jansen seem to be bringing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I can safely say that I really didn't expect them to have this kind of impact this mm-hmm. quickly. Are you? How do you feel about what Barucki and Jansen have kind of done mm-hmm. to wet the fans' palate for next year's meal? Oh, for sure. With uh, especially with a guy like Danny Jansen, to find a catcher who can also hit above average—that's a premium. In today's game, it's just so hard to find a catcher who can hit his weight in the lineup. Um, but the fact that Jansen has an, uh, a sneaky good arm, he can play behind the plate. He calls a really good game, and he can hit. And he's shown a little bit of power as well. That's just a premium. And there's not a lot of catchers in the game who can do that. Um, as far as Barucki goes. He's shown signs that he could be an impressive starter. Um, personally, I'm still on the fence with him because of um, how average the stuff is. Uh, so we'll see how that works. I feel like the Jays, even in their system alone, I feel like they have pitchers with far better stuff than Baraki. Like you've seen him the last few times, he's been stumbling a little bit. Maybe it's because of the workload. Yeah. Um, but personally, I, even when you look at a guy like Thomas Pannone, Thomas Pannone and Barucki, those are guys I have a few questions with it, because if they don't hit their spots, 
they just don't have the stuff to mm-hmm. really pu- pull things through. And I'm sure that Sean Reed Foley maybe put himself up a, a little mini notch after you watched what he did during his last start with the 10 strikeouts. There's uh, no question the, the Blue Jays have some really nice young arms that you're mm-hmm. confident about in 2019. Oh, yeah. Um, Sean Reed Foley, that's, that's a name that I really love. Um, I love the look. I love the mustache. I love the tats. Gives him <laughs> gives him a little bit of a personality. But he has the stuff. And, I mean, when the stuff isn't there, throwing 97, that helps, right? And especially when he hits the spots, he's going to be really, really tough to tough to face for hitters. And a guy like uh, Sean Rifoli, he lives up in the zone with his fastball. So, of course, he has to be a little more precise with his command. But we saw his last start. When it's there, it's tough to hit because it's 95 coming right at you. And and it's as advertised, which is one of the things mm-hmm. I've noticed is that this year it seems like the hype machine behind making these prospects something to look forward mm-hmm. to for fans has really delivered. Mm-hmm. One name, though, that I think has cooled off considerably and I've been watching from afar with curiosity is Bo Bichette. I think we can mm-hmm. both agree that a lot of the luster and, and hoopla that was generated roughly five, six mm-hmm. months ago, I mean, you couldn't go without mentioning Vlad and Bo in the same breath. Mm-hmm. I'm not hearing that as much. In fact, I'm mm-hmm. suspecting that he may not even start with the club next year and that they'd want to mm-hmm. look at him longer. What's what's the situation with Bo Bichette in your eyes? Where does he fit in your projected well, regular status? Well, Bo Bichette wasn't hitting close to 380 like he did last year. But he made the futures uh, the futures game at All Star break. Um, he played pretty well in that game, and I feel like the reason the hype is a little have, has shimmered down a little bit with Bo Bichette is because there's just so many other young guys just climbing through the system. Like you turn on the TV right now, Jonathan Davis is up, Rowdy Telez is up. I mean, you have to Oscar Hernandez, Guriel, Baraki, Sean Rifoli. There's just so many names that are already here. And I feel like the fan base just wants to focus on these guys, not about a dude who's still in Double A. He still hasn't gone into Triple A yet. No, um, right. Personally, I don't. F- I don't think he's going to make the club out of camp. I don't think he should. Um, I still really, really love uh, what Bo Bichette has. Uh, he's improved at shortstop, which not a lot of people talk about. Yeah, a lot of hype has been made about Kevin Biggio's power because they think he's slugged like 30 home runs down in Double A. But with Kevin, it's more pull side power. I feel like when Bo Bichette really develops into the player that he's going to be, there's some legitimate power there to all fields. And the comp I see with Bo Bichette is some, something like Javi Baez. Uh, both guys are have some swing and miss in their swings. But if you just look at their swings side to side, it's just so similar. So yeah. I feel that after a couple of years in the majors, once he gets accumulated to MLB pitching, I feel like once the strike uh, the strikeouts go down, Bo Bichette can be a really, really exciting player. Now, Richard, I, I want to look at the flip side because you and I usually spend most of our time discussing and prognosticating over talent evaluation related to prospects. But as you know, this Blue Jays team has all but stripped away many of their beloved veterans, but they are going into 2019 with names like Justin Smoke and Russell Martin and Kendris Morales and Marcus Stroman, Aaron Sanchez, and God forbid if we ever see Troy Tillowitzki play baseball again. When you look at that group, when you look at these prospects as a whole, what's your take on the kind of year you're expecting out of the 2019 Major League Club? Um, well, I guess the obvious answer would just be a year of transition. Um, I, personally, I think the Jays are going to try their best to trade Kendris Morales because at this point he's just clogging up a spot that could go to a younger guy like Vladdy uh, somewhere down the line. But really, it's it's just going to be a transition period. And, got, and players like Justin Smoke, even Kevin Pillar, they they just got to understand that this team is gonna, going to be getting a lot younger and Essentially, they're just playing veteran, trying to teach the younger guys the rope, and then they're going to move on somewhere else. And these younger, young, younger guys are going to be the ones carrying the torch. So, it's there's going to be a lot of losses next year, but I feel like this this is really what the Jays kind of need right now. They have to just clean clean up the slate, get the young guys involved, and slowly transition away from the guys that led this team in 2015. I deliberately omitted Kevin Pillar's name. Mm-hmm. And the reason I did that is 
I don't believe at this stage in the game, given everything he's shown us, that the Blue Jays should be using him in center field, considering they want to develop young, more athletic mm-hmm. outfield resources. Yeah. Are you, are, do you agree with that opinion? Oh, I completely agree. And, I, I mean, Kevin Pillar, got, I think he was a 38th round draft pick. So the fact that he's even made it this far and was on a playoff roster is incredible. But... Uh, at this point, the Jays just need more talent. They need to find a, an athletic player who can play center field and someone who can hit as well because having an on-base percentage of 270, 280, that's, it's not going to cut it anymore because center field, that's a premium position, and the Jays have a ton of outfield talent, and, I mean, the ship has sailed with Kevin Pillar. You know, it's funny. He he remains in the public eye. He's up for the Roberto Clemente Award, and it's obvious that fans still, for the most part, enjoy what he has to offer Mm -hmm. um what which particular outfield prospects or resources can you realistically see pushing him in spring training so that Mm -hmm. we end up having a corner outfield with hernandez in left grichuk in right or maybe grichuk in center and bringing Mm -hmm. up a new right fielder who would be your alignment for next year's uh big three in the outfield Mm -hmm. well i feel like the jays hope that it would be anthony alford but he's been injured a lot this year he hasn't been really producing. I think the Jays will give him a chance in spring training, chances of him actually making... uh, I feel like at this point they have to see what they have with Anthony Alford, but really all the hype around him has really went down the drain. Um, Billy Yeah, but Billy McKinney has been really good. Um, I'm not incredibly high on Billy McKinney, but I feel like these young players really deserve a chance to really show what they have. To offer because you know what you you you're, you know exactly what you're going to get with Kevin Pilar. You're going to get a few nice catches. Um, you're going to get an on base percentage of right around 300 with around 10 to 11 home runs, and that doesn't really cut it. It's one thing when Randall Grichuk uh, has an on base of 30 of 300, but he also gets like 25, 30 home runs. But when Kevin Pilar can't really produce that, no. the power numbers along with a low batting average, and that's a problem. That's right. That's a problem indeed. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to wrap up our conversation by bringing Mm -hmm. up something that happened in real time. I just got an update from the score of Mark Shapiro being quoted as saying that Vlad Guerrero Jr. needs more development and that his lack of promotion Mm -hmm. has nothing to do with business. How do we interpret something like that, which on the surface seems absolutely ludicrous? Uh, what's your thought about how, how this organization is treating Vlad relative to maximizing their business interests? Well, they have to say everything that doesn't in, uh, include mentioning the, the the clock, right? You can't call them up right now because, one, they're not in playoff contention. Having Vladdy on the, on the roster right now is just going to take away from his service time. Um I've I actually went down to Buffalo for a Bison's game a couple of weeks ago, and I watched him play third base, and it was not good. It was mm. really really bad. He made a couple of routine plays that he should have made, and they were errors. Um, personally, I don't know what what's left for him to show at third base because I do not think he's a um, MLB level third baseman. So maybe what Mark Shapiro is trying to say is he needs more time at third. I don't think it's ever going to come simply because Vladdy Guerrero doesn't have that lower half agility to handle the hot corner. Um, but he can't, he can't admit that they're doing this to still be able to control him for an extra year. He can't go out publicly and, and admit that. So he has to say stuff like that. He's, sure. a, he's a prospect, and he has to develop more. That's the sa- safest thing to say. It sounds like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't mm-hmm. with Marshall Pyre. Yeah, There's no exactly. question. Exactly. And it's been yeah. the kind. It's the it's been the kind of year, Richard, that you can't blame anyone for being cynical mm-hmm. from any kind of press release that comes yeah. out of that office. Tell my yeah. audience, uh, Richard, what you've been up to, how they can reach you on social media, and what's cooking with the baseball collegiate scouting baseball network. Awesome. Well, thank you again for having me on board. Um, I always love talking baseball with you. Um, the Collegiate Baseball Scouting Network, uh, we're looking for scouts really worldwide. We already have scouts in eight different countries. We're looking for more scouts in Canada, so be sure to apply if you want to get experience as a scout. Um, on my end, I'm in grad school. I'm stuck stuck in a building most of the day, but you can follow me on Twitter at, at Richard Burfs for high-quality content and, and hilarious tweets about baseball. 
You know, there was something almost uh, fantastical about that last comment. I, I want my listeners to reach out and connect with you because you are trapped in a very large building. But there we go. clearly, in, in some ways, you're kind of like the Gandalf of your building. You're just sitting there like a wizard with all this information, and uh, hopefully, when you're out of that building, maybe you'll be able to yeah. improve. Maybe you somehow will find a way to improve the Blue Jays. You always have great stuff to say, Richard. It was a real pleasure hopefully. having you on the show. Thanks so much. Thank for you. Me. Thank you. Thank you.